Forgotten Flicks, episode 125, Stand By Me, 1986. Any of you guys know where the next train is to? We could go down to the Route 136 bridge. What are you, crazy? That's five miles down the river. You walk five miles down the river, you gotta walk five miles back. That could take till dark. We go across here, we can get to the same place in ten minutes. Yeah, but if a train comes, there's nowhere to go. No, there isn't. And just jump. Teddy, it's a hundred feet. Yeah, Teddy. Look, you guys can go around if you want to. I'm crossing here. And while you guys are dragging your candy asses halfway across the state and back, I'll be waiting for you on the other side, relaxing with my thoughts. You use your left hand or your right hand for that? You wish. Hello and welcome to Forgotten Flicks, the podcast where we're remembering the movies you grew up with. And I would argue tonight's movie, while not forgotten by folks our age, ask a 12-year-old if they've seen it. And then if they say yes, ask them what the hell is wrong with their parents. <laughs> because we're going to have a potty mouth, says the guy who saw this movie when he was 10. <laughs> anyway, I am Joel and I'm joined... By the one and only, the, hmm, how can I even put this? The Gooch himself, the, I'm trying to think of all the little phrases they had. Let's see if I wrote them <laughs> down. Jason. Joel, sick balls. Yes. Oh, oh you mean, you mean. <laughs> Chopper, sick balls. <laughs> nice drop. Yes, like thank that. you. Thank you. Had, I had to have friend. that one. Yes. How are you? I'm doing dandy. Good. Doing dandy. You uh, you ready to talk a little Stand By Me action? I am. I, I think I'm very ready. And, and uh, I've got a couple of surprises I'm going to spring up on you. So oh, I'll, boy. Uh, I'll save those for later. And I do that with my right hand, by the way, in case you're wondering. Oh, so. I, well, I figured you relaxed with your thoughts with your left. <laughs> so I assumed your surprise hand was your right. <laughs> Would you like to hear the trailer and then jump directly in the synopsis? This actually may be the first time this has ever happened, I might add. We waited till like the last episode before the Spooky Flicks Fest, before we wrap this bastard up. And in less than three minutes, we're going to get right to the trailer. Wow. Uh, oh, wait, wait, we're, over three, we're over three minutes now. We're good. Okay. Okay, we're safe. Okay, we're good. Yeah. Okay, here's the trailer. <laughs> in all our lives, there's a fall from innocence, a time after which we are never the same. It happened in the summer of 1959. A long time ago. Oh, man. Where do you hear this? Where do you hear this? What is it, man? You guys want to go see a dead body? When the night has come and the land is dark. We interrupt to bring you an update on the search for the missing 12-year-old Ray Brower. Kid's gone. They're never going to find him. Not where they're looking. And the moon is the only light we'll see. You think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. No way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. We're gonna be famous. 
We're going to be on every radio and TV show in the country. I still don't think we should go. If I can only have one food for the rest of my life, that's easy. Pass. Cherry flavor pass. No question about it. I'd like to go someplace where nobody knows me. We found him. We got dibs. We better start running, eyeball. They got dibs. There's four of us, eyeball. We just make your move. You're dead. For some, it's the last real taste of innocence. I'm never gonna get out of this town now, my Gory. You can do anything you want, man. And the first real taste of life. This is really a good time. The most a blast. But for everyone, it's the time that memories are made of. So darling, darling, stand by me. Oh, stand by me. Oh, stand. Stand by me. Stand by me. The following segment of Forgotten Flicks will contain information so pertinent to the film that, if you have not yet seen it, may ruin your viewing experience. So if you plan to see this film, please consider resuming the episode only after you've viewed the film, which you can find at your local video rental store. We now return you to Forgotten Flicks, already in progress. Thank you, JV. Thank you. <laughs> Nice. Haven't had that one out in a while. Yeah, I know. I figured it's the last sort of a official non-spooky flicks fest episode with a movie. And I wanted to hear JV one more time. <laughs> <laughs> the next hour is just me. Anyway, you picked a, uh, a good movie for that. Uh, yeah, kind of. A little bit. That wasn't on purpose, I swear. No, no, not at all. Yeah. So, so Jason, would you like to tell us how we two could ruin our innocence and go find a dead body. You know where one is? No, I meant because with a synopsis. That's oh, yeah. that was a really bad segue. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. If I found a dead body, uh, I would not ask you to come with me. So no, you would just... be the fisherman <laughs> pissing on his bones. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is a story. Um, not a not a book, but a story. Lady um, who was written... bringing up? Oh, sorry, sorry. Good. <laughs> Um, written by Stephen King. Uh, it's actually part of a novel that's four different stories. I think it was called Four Seasons. Yes. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, it was an anthology with like, I think he had a couple weird like that where he would do. Yeah, there were several. Because the, because um, obviously Skeleton Crew and Night Shift had multiple stories in them. But I know yeah, Four Seasons. Collection. And was it, wasn't it, was it Four Past Midnight or? Oh crap! What was that? There was another one that were like much longer stories. Yeah, more like novellas. It was like four novellas as opposed to short stories. Yeah. And um, with this one, this was actually called The Body, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think this was I think this was the summer one, if I remember correctly. Yeah, because Apt Pupil was in that one, and I honestly don't remember. Was Shawshank Redemption in that one? Yes, Shawshank Redemption. Rita Hayworth uh, and Shawshank Redemption. I guess is the actual name of the story. Yes, I don't remember uh, what the other one was. I don't remember. So I've actually read it. Uh, I read it uh, after I saw the movie because I remember seeing the movie when I was a kid. Um, and it was one of those. I knew Stephen King wrote it, but I didn't actually know it was in that book or that it mm-hmm. wasn't a book itself so much later. Um, but I read it. And it's it's basically the story of four friends 
uh, in, in takes place in 1959. Believe I so. Believe. Yep. Yep. 59. Uh, they're all like 12, 13 year old kids. Uh, it's Gordy who was played by Will Wheaton. It's Chris, uh, Chris Chambers played by river Phoenix, Teddy, the crazy one, uh, played by Corey Feldman and Vern, um, played by Jerry O'Connell. And the four of them are just kind of your typical 1950s kids. Uh, and they, they recognize that it's, they're going to be going to junior high next year. So this is their last summer to really kind of have an adventure. And at one point, um, Vern, who is sort of the dorky youngest one, almost he, uh, he hears the older kids talking about that. They had actually seen a body of the kid who had disappeared some, I don't know, like a week before mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, so they set out on an overnight trip or a two day trip to go find, uh, the body and become heroes. Cause if they found the kid, then, um, the town would, would, uh, hold them up as heroes and, and that would be a big deal. So they, they set off and it's really just the adventures, uh, that they have. And as it kind of says in the trailer, sort of a coming of age, loss of youth, loss of innocence kind of thing is, is how it's set up, um, as their journey, because, you know, they are 12, 13 kind of going into mm-hmm. their real teenage years, uh, where they go from being kids to starting being grown ups, kind of thing. Yep. So that's really it. There's also a couple other characters um, in, in it. The the main thug of the town, ta- <clears throat> excuse me, of the town, uh, played by Kiefer Sutherland, is Ace. Um, and then there is a whole cast of other characters, which we'll get into. Um, oh, and it's it's told from the viewpoint of Gordy, mm-hmm. uh, who is played by Will Wheaton, it, as he's grown up and he's a writer and he's kind of writing about out his experiences of this summer and uh his older self um is played by um none other than richard dreyfus god i love uh, him who i now i'm going to start calling rick rick <laughs> dreyfus uh just because that's what rob reiner called him in like the extras on the dvd and uh, yeah rick yeah ricky like have you ever seen him just meet him just shake your hand and go hey, rick, I, 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 I i don't mean to be so bold i i, I would call you mr dreyfus but i really feel compelled ricky is rick does ricky work <laughs> can i call you ricky can I call you Dick? Can I call is you Dick? Dick okay? Is it Can okay? Is it, is it okay, Dick? Dick? I, re- I really, I really, honestly, I love Dick, and I think Dick is perfect for you. <laughs> so I'll, I'll call you Dick. Dick, is that all right? Oh, don't be a Dick, no. Dick. So when you pick yourself, so when you pick yourself up off the ground, uh, yes, <laughs> he punched you in the face. Pretty, pre- yeah, pretty confident. I'm really, I'm really not like physically frightened of Mr. Dreyfus. <laughs> no, no, really. at this age, not, not much either. No. Yeah, yeah. Um. He's not an so, imposing figure. Like I wouldn't go up to the rock. I'd be like, Dwayne, really? Really? <laughs> Dwayne? And then I proceed to remove my larynx from my sphincter. <laughs> <laughs> well, your teeth out of your a-hole. Yeah. Um yes. So that that's pretty much the the setup. That's mm-hmm. what happens throughout. It's a good There's setup. a lot um a lot of stuff that kind of happens in between, a lot of side stories, and we'll get into that. But the base story is really just kind of an odyssey that these four boys go on mm-hmm. um and are looking for the body which is where the story the novella got its name the body is is as we're going out the body of ray brower um, ray brower and i tried to look it up and i couldn't find it um i wanted to see if it was somebody because i'm always looking for like yeah i found did you, did, you, did you find him no i didn't i did you did find who it was yes Yes. Does it, it looked vaguely familiar, but it wasn't someone well, like, he, oh, my God, it's him. You know, I don't but. know about you, but I had always heard the urban legend. I remember for what and I remember as a kid, I guess. So I saw the movie 
pretty young. I, I actually probably was 11 when I saw it because it came out in 86. So I was, so I say, yeah, I was 10 when it came out. You didn't see it in the theater? No, I did not. No, 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 no. My, my mommy would not have allowed that. However, <laughs> in, 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 in a little twist of the fates, my friends, John and Jeff and I, I had these uh, twins, these fraternal twins that were like my best buddies growing up uh, around this time period. And we talked like this. They, you know, we, you know, we were like 12 and it wasn't just because of this movie. We, this is how we, we could very much relate to this movie. Cause that's Got it. pretty much how we talked. Uh, so we were really basically what I'm getting at is we were potty mouths and, <laughs> and it's, and it's good to see a lot's changed since then. We were little turds. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So yes, back to Ray <laughs> Brower, the urban legend I heard, and I had seen the movie, you know, on video a couple times cause I loved it as a kid. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Right. Cause I found yep. it very relatable. Yep. And then I had heard this rumor that the dead body was actually played by John Cusack, which I, I remember at the time thinking, really? yeah, I remember at the time thinking he didn't look like John Cusack, but then all I could, it's like, you're trying to remember your kid and you're trying to remember yeah, yeah. and you're like, well, I mean, the guy just looked dead and it was kind of a weird angle. So maybe it was, and they just didn't make up on him, but, but it's funny, even at that age, I didn't, and that would, go ahead. That would be kind of cool because, you know, make that connection of, sure. Uh, uh, Denny, his bro, older John, brother. yeah, John Cusack played his his uh, um, Gordy's older brother yes. who had died some four months before in like a car accident yes. or a jeep accident. It was a Super. defining moment, like ultimately for Gordy getting to see this body is about him getting closure about his brother's death. That's really what that yes. boiled down to. So it w- it was interesting. So, but yet it's still it never made even into my adult years. And I remember I heard that. It like never connected in my head. Yeah, John Cusack is in the movie Dope. It plays he plays his older brother in a couple flashback sequences, and it just didn't click. So yeah. I, I don't even know where I got that from. It's probably some kid told me that, and I believed him because I was gullible. But yeah. I looked yeah. up the guy. The guy's name named Kent W. Luttrell, and he's actually listed in IMDb under stunts, special effects, and art department. He actually has seventy-seven film credits under stunts, Dang. or seventy-two. I'm sorry, seventy-two under stunts. Yeah. So and you know he's done. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's like TV and TV movies and things. But yeah. actually, actually, he was on uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I don't know what he did there. Obviously, it was a stunt oh, type, wow. of, type of thing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. He, lots of, I mean, he was on Buffy. He had lots of different, you know, movies. If you go through it, Jurassic sure. Park 3, a bunch. So, okay. obviously, still has very you much. Probably, so, you probably recognize his back? <laughs> because yeah, yeah. He's the top of his head. Yes. With a... With the wig yeah sure sure and uh, actually army of darkness they have him listed as having uh, been involved with as well Dang. so he's got you know definitely got a great filmography and it's funny you look at his face in the picture and you can see it you can he yeah. still has a look yeah. like i could just see the dead kid having watched the movie you know recently right right it, it really makes it easy to spot so kent luttrell mm. is in fact ray brower the dead kid it is not john <laughs> cusack take that kid who lied to me 30 whatever almost 30 in years ago <laughs> yes yes yeah yeah actually no that would have probably been what sixth grade which makes it even sadder that's, that's so, yes so anyway that's that's who played ray brower the dead it so. would have been kind of cool if it was um uh, john cusack because that you know that leads into kind of talking a little bit about that part of the story so did you watch watch the extras um on the dvd yes most i didn't like i didn't listen to the commentary i want to but uh, i haven't listened yeah. to that yet but i watched most of the behind the scenes thing where they interviewed everybody yeah which is kind of cool i mean um i love especially going back and being able to watch featurettes like that that were done not 
right when the movie was out, but definitely not today. Like that movie, um, you know, what's third, almost 30 years ago. It's the 2016. It'll be 30 years ago. 30 years ago. God damn. Um, so, um, but the, the, uh, extra, the, the featurette was done. What? 15 years after the movie, maybe 10 years after the movie, because Will Wheaton in it looks, uh, late teenager ish. You think so? Yeah, because he had like more. I thought it looked more recent. I thought it was because I'm trying to think when that DVD. You know, go ahead, go ahead and keep saying what you're going to say. I'm going to look up when that DVD was issued because I actually know you say that. I want to. I'm curious how long ago that was. I want to say it was ten years after. I want to say it was mid '90s because uh, mid to late '90s because um, Will Wheaton still looks relatively young. It's definitely not his Star Trek because he was you know older. He was in between there, but it was after. It was like his later years in Star Trek, uh, the Next Generation. But anyway, so one of the cool things in the featurette um obviously this is a story uh from stephen king and they interview him and he talks a little bit about what caused this um what caused him to write this story so initially i'm thinking oh stephen king that messed up individual writes a lot of crazy stuff maybe he actually saw a body or maybe uh you know that was kind of the morbid piece that he wanted to write the story around um but he said and what was really cool in the interview was he said the whole purpose of writing this story for him was he wanted to tell the stories of when he was that age and the things that he experienced as a kid with his friends because he remembers having funny stories and things happen but he needed some motivator for them to get together in a setting like this mm-hmm. so he kind of invented the idea of the ray brower kid uh and the body and that was just it was just a um uh what is that called Called a the uh, thing that moves the story, a thing that's just there for you oh, know, like, like a MacGuffin. Yeah, right. It, um, yeah, it's really just an inciting incident. Yeah, I think you could say it's, it's a MacGuffin. Mo- yeah, it was a yeah. plot motivation. It's the, it's, it's it's the arc. So, yes. Yeah. So that that was the part that was made up. The rest, he kind of wrote the story about his childhood. What was cool about that is then they interview uh, Rob Reiner, and Rob Reiner talks about how he wove in the stories of his youth and. Uh, Gordy, Will Wheaton's character, was him. That was Rob Reiner. Uh, and so when he kind of wrote that and, and directed it, um, he said, and he, I thought this was pretty candid, but he talked about how he's always looking for his dad's uh, approval and he mm. never got it. And um, he always kind of felt left out and he, was, he sought his uh, approval and support from his friends instead of his family. And um, it, it was almost kind of a therapy session a little bit, but mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, he, you know, he, he went through all that. So the idea that um, Gordy's character, Will Wheaton's character, Gordy, was looking for um, approval from his dad. In this, it was more than just looking for approval. The real tragedy of that whole thing and what made him have the reaction he did at the very end when they finally find Ray Brower and Gordy kind of has this, he kind of breaks, right? He kind of has this mental snap. Mm-hmm. And you can really see that the whole time it's been even when his brother was alive his parents didn't want him or at least they didn't care much about him yeah um and then when his brother died that pretty much erased him from the world uh uh, because they play that scene where he and his brother are sitting at the dinner table um and this obviously a flashback and you know uh, um his dad's there talking to his older brother about football and his mom mentions his uh, older brother's girlfriend and um his older brother was really that bridge and sort of said something about uh, oh, guys, did you know that Gordy wrote a story? And you, you guys read a story? And they all dismiss it and move on. And he leans in and he, and he says, uh, you know, I like the story, Gordy. Well, that whole thing was really 
the tragedy of the whole movie. It wasn't yeah. the rape. Uh, it wasn't the dead kid. It was really Gordy's tragedy. This whole thing was. Mm -hmm. um, Did you catch who the mom was? Uh, I didn't look it up. I recognized her. Well, I haven't looked it up either, but I'm I'm ninety five percent sure it was the mom from Gremlins. Oh yep, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I just, think you're right. As soon as I saw, I was like, "Hey, that's the mom from Gremlins." Yeah, I never remember yeah, the actress's I, name. I don't either, but I remember her from the scene where she goes into the kitchen and she pushes the blender and chops the Gremlins up and mm -hmm. uh, all that stuff. Yeah, it, it is the same woman. Um, and I didn't look up who the dad was either, but um, he was somebody I recognized. Scare, real scary looking scars on his face. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Marshall Bell is the actor. I want to say, I know, I'm pretty sure he was in the X-Files. Like, I remember him having some part in that. And he's done a lot of other stuff. And you know what? Was he in Aliens? Was he one of the Marines? No. No. No, you know what? Maybe not. No. I'm thinking of somebody else. I've thinking, seen that movie a million times. Yeah, no. You, I'm thinking of the guy that uh, is always messing with Vasquez because he has a similar look, but it's not yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, no. I'm trying to think of like what I know him from specifically. It's oh, like, he was in Starship Troopers. I just looked it up. Yeah, that wasn't the thing I was thinking of, though. It's something else. He was. I remember now in Starship Troopers, he was the general when the troops all come to that outpost that was taken over mm -hmm. and they found for the first time the guys had their brains sucked out. He was the general that was all freaked out and hiding in the closet. And, he, you know, anyway. Yeah. So, oh, and just yeah. just so you know, walking the tracks, the summer of Stand By Me, the doc. Two, yeah, yeah. 2002. So it's, I mean, it's like 12, 13 uh, years okay. old. So, right. So it's still, it's before Will Wheaton had his resurgence in the last. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. That. Um, but, but uh, yeah, because River Phoenix wasn't in it. And obviously he he died years before that. So what year did he die? In? I know he's only like, 93, dude. God dang. Really? Yeah. He's been, he's been gone for over 20 years. Wow. And I remember when that happened, like I, because I was in high school and I remember like MTV news, you know, Kurt Loder comes on actor River Phoenix dies of an overdose outside the Viper room, which I think was Johnny Depp's club. Wow. Yep. That and Kurt Cobain. Those are like two memory. The, the generation before us had JFK assassination, <laughs> the MLK assassination and Robert Kennedy. That's what stuck with them for us. River Phoenix and Kurt Cobain. I'm not was, making a judgment was, one way or the other. I'm just I, making an observation. <laughs> well, I guess you had the challenger too. The challenger, but we're, I, I meant oh, like teenage. Yeah. Don't forget Reagan was grazed. Yeah, but that's not like I was, I was like five. I don't remember that. And to me, like the challenger, I remember. But again, yeah. when you're like 10 years old, it just doesn't 10. Yeah, you remember it, but it didn't quite hit me. I think the gravity of the situation. Jim Henson. Remember Jim Henson. Yeah, but I think we were, that was what? When did he pass away? It was in the early 90s. Yeah, something like that. I guess we've been in high school. For some reason, I don't, I remember hearing it. I remember thinking it was really sad, but I think it was probably because, especially with River Phoenix, he wasn't that much older yeah. than us, and we'd grown up watching his movies and whatnot, so. Yeah, and in this, I mean, it's, it's, it kind of adds an extra layer of sadness to it, which is all freaking movie is sad, by the way. It's just, this movie just bums me out, but <laughs> it adds a whole nother layer of sadness because. Yes, it does. Um, in the movie. Spoiler uh, alert. Uh, yeah, spoiler, spoiler. No, because, well, it, it gives it away in the very beginning of the movie. It's not really a spoiler. The very beginning of the movie, Richard Dreyfuss is sitting in his you know, Range Rover or whatever he's in, uh, and he's sitting out there kind of looking out over the fields of his youth. And on the seat next to him is a newspaper um, opened up to an article, and the camera zooms in, and it says, uh, Chris Cham attorney at law Chris Chambers 
uh, killed in fight or something But you know like what's that. funny? I don't think I ever noticed that. Like, the I don't newspaper? Th- yeah, I don't think they went out of the way because the whole point in the end, yeah, they do, there. it is there. I mean, he definitely was reading it, which is what inspires him to write the story. But, it's very subtle. Yeah, but it's very subtle yeah. because I don't think you were, I think it was just meant to be a bit of a foreshadowing to where, did it say his name or did it just say lawyer yeah. or attorney killed? So I don't nope, remember it, it saying his name. Yeah, it says attorney at law, Chris Chambers, uh, Christopher Chambers killed in fight. It was it was the name. I remember it because I rewound it to look at the headline again. Yeah. But I, I don't remember it watching it originally. Like when I was young, I don't remember catching that. I remember kind of giving it away at the end uh, when he's talking about it. So the end cap beginning is. Is Richard Dreyfus is kind of reca- recounting his youth and, uh, you know, when he was a kid. Uh, then they go through all these adventures. And at the very end, it's Richard Dreyfus's voice again. And he's talking about what happens to them all as they grow up. Mm-hmm. And he talks about uh, Vern uh, gets married and has a bunch of kids and he's a forklift operator. Uh, then it talks about um, Teddy tried to get into the Army because he was a freak to the Army. He never got in and got in trouble and, like, said he spent time in jail or did, something. Did, but did now it he- say that he was something about him working at a gas station? I uh, don't remember. It said something about him doing odd, odd jobs now. It said he just does odd jobs around. Um, and then it's left with Gordy and Chris, and uh, Chris kind of walks away. And um, the sad story is that Chris did make something of himself, despite the fact that his, he came from a terrible family, and the whole town judged him because his family was bad. Uh, but he became an attorney. He said he went on to college and, and became an attorney. And then it's just kind of this one line of, or this couple of lines where he went into a fast food restaurant, two guys in front of him in line got to a fight. Uh, Chris, ever the peacemaker, tried to break them up and he was stabbed in the neck and died almost instantly. So yeah. the idea that even in this uh, movie, he died a tragic death as a good person, but you know, it was, mm-hmm. uh, I tried. so it kind of added that layer looking back on it. I was like, sure. oh man. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, I will, I want to, before we get into, you know, what we thought of it or any of that stuff, I wanted to talk about something with this because you and I sort of chose this movie as our last regular movie, uh, because as I recall it and it's as it's built and, and, and what it's about is this sort of moving on to another stage in your life, right? It's the kids moving off from their youth, this, this, fun and and uh, uh cutting up with each other and all and they're kind of going their separate ways this oh, sort of well wait 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 a minute <laughs> i thought we picked it because of casey's just my just my sco or just my sco or jamasco jamasco yeah. that's it yeah yeah uh no no oh, although double bill with three uh, o'clock high and young this Guns. has got to be the third movie we've third done movie. with him in it pretty right? sure it's third yeah third movie and i think we've done like four uh keeper sutherland though um Flatliners, this, Lost Boys, and what else? Young Guns. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They were back, and they're both in Young Guns. Actually, they were both, both in, in Young, Young Guns. Guns and this. Yep. Nice. Uh, nice. Yeah, we did because Lost Boys here. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, but I, I'd like to disagree with that because I don't think they were. there was any. This is not about the loss of innocence because none of them were freaking innocent before. I, Maybe Vern. Maybe Vern. I think the they, rest of them. Uh, I think they were, were freaking grown ups no, in kids' bodies. Well, no, I think that they put grown up words in their mouths, a la Dawson's Creek, to make it more, maybe more entertaining for adults. But I, I, I well, I mean, if you if you if you actually look at the uh, tagline of the movie, Jason, it, it actually makes a mention of innocence. And Obviously, I know, but I don't think it is. Okay, so I, I will. I I, hold on, wait, wait, hold on. I'm writing, I'm writing this down. Have... I'm writing this down because I got to send Mr. Reiner an email and Mr. King. Jason said. 
this is not <laughs> a movie about a loss of innocence. You guys are wrong. All right. <laughs> oh, um, no, I, I and, and there's a reason for that, because I'm watching this and I'm thinking it. I mean, it's a good movie. I love it. it. It's a fantastically put together movie. It's it's um, I've loved it for years. It's been a favorite of mine for a long time. The cast is is incredible. Um, but I'm watching it now, maybe because I have seen it in a long time. It's been at least uh, maybe eight years or so, maybe more. I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly last time I saw it. But um, these kids are all pretty effed up. Well, but I don't think and, that, here, let me just interject one I, thing. There's a difference between innocence and na- like a naivete. Like I think of Vern as being naive. And they've all had some pretty rough, well, for the most part, they've had pretty rough lives. And I think if you think of innocence, I mean, the question is, do you flip a switch and innocence is gone? Or is it a more of this gradual thing? And this is sort of where it all peaks for them. And after this moment, it, there's no uh, turning back. I would say that the one thing I'll accept is after this moment, they all part because they talk about how they all kind of go to different classes and um, how Vern and, and Teddy kind of, they don't really talk to them anymore after they, you know, after the years pass, they just become friend people that they used to know, which we all have friends like that. So I get sure. that. This is kind of the last summer they had together, but they all have just, they've lived a lifetime uh, that is so much than any kids their age normally have. And on top of that, um, one of the things that I didn't, and I'm being overly critical on purpose, cause I'm just trying to kind of pick lines out of this, but um, some of the, topics they kind of go through and talk about are way too mature for kids their age. It is, and I'm not talking about just curse words or that kind of thing, or, or they talk about sex because they did that, you know, a little bit, but um, to me, it was more that they're too self-aware of their own youths that I, I don't see a 12 year old being so melancholy about losing their youth. You know what I mean? I don't know that it was so much that they would be melancholy about losing their youth. I took it as, Really, out of all the characters, the only one who had that sense of awareness at all to me was the River Phoenix character. The no, because Chris- even because um, Vern kind of talks about it's the best time of her life, and and even Teddy at one point. He, yeah, but you I know, kind of felt like a lot kinda- of the things that they said was just trying to like repeat what adults around them had said or they had heard. You know, like I don't know that they knew what the hell. Like when uh, what is it? Uh, Teddy says when they're around the 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 fire and he's smoking. Oh, what does he say? He makes some. He says some goofy comment. They all laugh at him. So, yeah, because I cherish it moments like, a, like this. Yeah, it's it sounds like. And I actually, I was going to look it up and I forgot because I wrote down that line. It was a. Uh, um, I want. I want to say it was like a commercial, like a line from a commercial, uh, from like Winston's or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, like a cigarette commercial. It seemed like, uh-huh. but it, it. But there were so many moments like that. I, and I'm looking at it now, and I thought, could it just? It just pulled me out a little bit. Like, okay. If I look at it from the context that this is a grown man writing the story of his youth and that we're just reading it and that's what that's the play that we're seeing in front of us, that may that seems okay because this is um, Gordy's adult self kind of writing because you know I'm kind of working on um, writing some of my own you know experiences when I was younger and I definitely can feel how I'm painting it slightly different. You know, you're kind of making sure. it a little rosier than it was or well, and you're, you're remembering it through the filter of it was 30 Correct. years ago. Yeah, right. Right. So the same thing for these guys is they're saying things and talking to each other a little bit more like 40 year olds. Uh, can you give me a specific example? Can you give me a specific example? Like when uh, Chris is having the conversation with Gordy about 
him being um, in the college courses, you know, him taking the smart courses mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stuff. And they're kind of having these courses of don't talk like that. You know, you're going to be something great. And no, I'm not. It, I, as a 12 year old, I would never have a conversation with like that with somebody else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it just seemed too mature for where they were. But I mean, it, it wasn't completely out of character uh, because they were, like I said, they have lived a terrible life. I mean, look at what Will Wheaton's character, uh, Gordy had gone through, Chris has gone through. Um, they all have these awful stories. Teddy, you know, having his ear almost burned off by his dad. I mean, uh, all of that stuff really mm-hmm. just, that made it seem a little bit more okay, but it, it did, didn't feel like I couldn't connect as a 12 year old. Like that's what I was like as a 12 year old. Cause they all seemed like they were 30 something to me. I think what it is, is that Maybe, and you know, tell me if I'm completely misreading it. What you're having a hard time accepting is that a 12 or 13 year old would have allowed themselves to be that vulnerable. A little bit, because there was a lot of that. Like there was a, and there was a lot of, you know, kind of crying amongst themselves and having these emo. And I mean, there's anything bad with crying. I mean, they had these very deep emotional moments. And I, maybe I was just a little shit when I was a 12 year old. But, and I think we've uh, hit it on the nail. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't remember ever having kind of those moments with any of no, my and, friends. And, and obviously, number one, it's a it's a freaking movie. So no, <laughs> no, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. And I don't think it was meant to be documentary in its reality. But I, I guess I see what you're saying because that that one part always did seem odd to me too. I mean, even as a yeah. kid into a grown up years, that because what it is is Chris, the River Phoenix character, gets on him about you know not wanting to take the college courses that he wants to go into the shop courses with his friends and because he, yeah, he wants yeah he wants to go in the lower courses with his buddies so he can stay with them and he says oh you're the hell you are and he's and, and gord even stops him and says well thanks dad and he goes i wish the hell i was your dad because then you wouldn't be talking this dumb and he goes off on him and i i do i recall that that the way i took it even this time was that chris is this old soul that is way wise beyond beyond his years which would thus explain yes. why he's able to lift himself up beyond yeah. what his quote-unquote lot in life should be based on the conception of everybody around him and his family. So it yeah. he needed to be that kind of character. And of all of them, he's the only one. I mean, Teddy and Vern, I never got that off of. Anytime they said stuff, no, I felt was, like they were just spouting crap they'd seen on TV or heard other adults say. Yeah, it was it was definitely mostly uh, Chris. Uh, Chris. And, mostly. and Gordy to a degree, but even Gordy, not so much because like his reaction to, I actually thought his reaction was extraordinarily honest. Which was that he said he that he says you know to Chambers, thanks Dad like that I could hear I could totally hear yeah. a kid saying yeah. and I always got the vibe that Chambers they didn't say exactly how old he was he seems older than them like yes. not necessarily by a lot but by a year or so like yeah you know sometimes that makes a difference being fourteen versus twelve and in real life Jerry O'Connell was the youngest he was only eleven so yeah, it, I remember Rob Reiner commenting about that that he was kind of he was the most he was also the most raw mm-hmm. uh because he, he had no before. acting experience before that yeah and he was just a kid a, a literally a uh you know a very young kid and, so. and side side note is it me or is it really weird how little he's changed <laughs> yeah <laughs> even his personality no I, uh, I, I was just being a smart ass because he, he looks very completely 100 yeah, different. different yeah he looks he acts the same yes uh yeah he but, now uh, looks he, like he, he now looks like Vern's good-looking older brother <laughs> like they, yeah. they has a similarity but other than that there's like they don't look at all like so yeah that was funny but but the uh but yeah no i i get what you're saying that because but my, my point is it not that that made the movie bad that's that's not it's not something that i thought was um 
wrong with the movie. It's what made me feel more like this was not a, you know, a loss of innocence or kind of a coming of age. It, it felt like they were already old uh, yeah. as 12, 13 year olds. And this was more of a parting that this was a, the end of a phase of their life, but not like, Oh, you know, they're, they were, they never felt like innocent kids to me. They, they had, gone through so much and they, you know, they're all smoking and, and shooting guns and all that. Well, I, I, here's the difference. I'd say compared using, you know, finding a point of comparison just to have a way of, of deciphering this, I, I would say compared to Ace, the Kiefer Sutherland character, Eyeball, which is Chris Chambers, older brother. Verge, they were all terrible people. Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> but, but the that teenagers? older, they were all, think about it. Those were all supposed to be kids too. They were teenagers, but yeah. they're older kids. They're not innocent. I no, mean, no. they're they're they are where Chris and Vern and Teddy are headed, and I yeah, think they're going to be. And look at the difference, like when when Ace and his crew are sitting around carving things into their arms <laughs> with a knife with and, razor blades, yes. and they're having this quote unquote philosophical debate over which religious philosophy the type of girl will let you get in her pants. You know, et cetera, et cetera. And versus those guys who sit around a fire. And yes, they're smoking. They're, to me, I felt like the the kids, the little kids, they're pretending to be adults. They are not adults yet. They have not had, even even yeah. despite the horrible crap, because that happens with kids, right? They can go through some horrible crap, but there's still something about them that's, they're kids. Like, they don't, oh, yeah. they don't come up, like a 12-year-old been... Say- and I don't mean to say that they're not innocent because I feel like they're guilty. I mean, they're not like in it, like they're bad people, just that the stuff that they've lived sure, through sure. Uh, is way more than like a typical kid would. And you, you know those kids. You you know the kids either you grew up with them or you, you see them now as an adult. You see kids that have, have had such terrible things happen. And, and you, you know they've lived a longer life sure. in the short years. Um, there's definitely a difference between them and the, the, the hoods. Um, they just all seem like psychopaths. Like they, that's actually really other Ace was the one that seemed like the most like a psychopath to me. The other ones, they just seemed like they were just kissing sort of along for the ride. Yeah, yeah. there is sheep for um, sure. Did you notice who one of the uh, uh, one of the well, there was all the thugs were recognizable for the most part. There was like three of them that were um, recognizable. You pointed out Casey, mm-hmm. um, but from a recent movie we covered. Hold on, wait. The, let, let me see. Let me see if I if I have a drop from the person you're talking about. Ready? <laughs> we, can, we can make a nominous call. We can, we can make a nominous call. Anonymous call. Yes, I, I never noticed that till this watching. I watch. I'm like, what the hell did he say? He goes, anonymous call. call. And I, I'm wondering. I, this is one of those moments where I wonder if that was a, a flub. You know, where you say, and they okay, just left it in, and they just left it in because it fits the character. Yeah, yeah. Like he wouldn't necessarily know what the word anonymous is, so he would say, Look, we can we can make anonymous call, an anonymous call. <laughs> but I'm assuming that was the guy you're talking about. That is. Now, what what two movies did we cover of his? Oh, the only one I could think of was Summer School. Uh, yeah, he also had a part in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, he was the kid who comes in and steals the wallets. Yeah, yeah. Or oh, the money He's, out of them. Yeah, I totally forgot that. Stuff. Yeah, the yeah. actor is, where's he at? He is right here. Uh, Gary, Gary Riley. Yeah, Gary Riley. Yep, played Charlie Hogan. He one. was the one in Summer School who... Uh, he <laughs> Chainsaw and... and uh, what was uh, Chainsaw, yeah, were the alcoholics who loved the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, so. What was his name? Chainsaw was the other guy. What was his name in Summer School? I don't remember. Uh, if only there was a way that one could... He just had like a database. Some way, database. yeah, like where they just kept that information. It's, where you could just really quickly, you know, just like scroll through and out. And, and like, especially they were like in chronological order. Oh, oh it just came to be Dave Frazier. Oh, Dave. <laughs> Dave. 
Chainsaw Dave. That's right. Chainsaw Dave. Man, you're good. I you am. So good. I know. If only there was an app for that. <laughs> um, he was a yeah, Back to the Future. Is... <laughs> you know what? Was he one of the? Was he in Biff's Gang? Oh uh, yeah. Oh. And Casey uh, says, says Mysco, like that guy whose name I can never say right. Yeah, he was in Biff's Gang. What? Casey was in Biff's Gang. I know that. Hold on. I'm gonna see if he was in Biff's Gang. Holy crap. I think he was in Biff's Gang, which means they were in the gang in this one the year after they were in a gang together in Back to the Future. It means nothing, but I find it cool. A lot of connections here. A lot of connections. Good stuff. Mm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I mean, uh, let's I want to talk about Kiefer Sutherland for a minute in this. Um, I think he is probably one of the scariest subtle dudes. He is so scary. Dude, he. He would make me poop it, my pants in real life. It's this Lost Boys and Jack um, Bauer. <laughs> and, well, Jack Bauer, I I never really watched Twenty Four. Oh, I not, did. Not that I had anything wrong with it. I, I, I pretty never... much would flinch if he if I saw him in real life. I'd want to meet him, and then I would just and I've and I've heard in real life he's like this. He comes across as this Zen, just Buddhist chill dude. <laughs> yes. And I would like flinch. I'd be like, don't stick a knife in my kneecap, please. Um, but even but even like it this Lost Boys and Young Guns. He he never he kind of has that like that Zen. But it's like a coiled spring. Like you're afraid he's just going to at any moment just kill you. Oh, I know. And this, he's, he does it so well. He's freaking scary. Yeah, that, there's an edge. Time, there's an edge. When they're at the river oh. and he kind of just starts to walk up on him. I thought he was going to kill Chris. I, oh, literally no, thought, you I know, think I think he was going to kill. Right, and Eyeball was going to let him kill his own brother right in front of him. Yep. Until Gordy does what he does without giving it away. Uh, by the way, Back to the Future, it just says uh, Gary Riley played guy number one and all the other guys, including uh, Casey S, because it's easier to say. He's <laughs> listed way up in the credits along with Billy Zane uh, uh, as being, he, he was 3D. Because remember, he was one I don't wearing, think he was in, I don't think he was in the gang. He was just one somebody in the right, background. I'm not looking this up. I think he was like a high school kid. Yeah. Oh, was he at the dance? Maybe I was, I was going to say, I remember him at the high school. So maybe at the dance. Yeah. Towards the end, towards the end. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, or, or is he one? Is he one of the ones that maybe says what well, after the uh, spoiler alert for back to the future? And if so, <laughs> if, if that, if in fact you need one of those, you just, <laughs> hand, just turn this off now. <laughs> no podcast for you. I would say, I'm pretty sure. Was he the one when they're dancing and, and somebody makes the comment about, you know, Hey, you know, it's something about McFly hearing that he had laid out Biff or he says something to him as they're dancing after it's all happened. Uh, you know, he, George McFly, Marty's dad's like knocked out Biff and he's dancing something. with Lorraine. You know, is that, was that the moment? Cause I know that Malachi. Right. He's the guy that, um, butts in with George McFly. Yes. And that's when McFly is kind of walking away and, 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 uh, Michael J. Fox is, is, uh, it's starting to really, yeah. Disappear. Yeah. Uh, that's Malachi. Um, but yeah, maybe he Actually, was like, wait, 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 no. Cause it's when, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Because it hasn't officially taken hold that hit that the, the, uh, the time travel paradox has not been resolved until that moment. Right. Because he, him knocking out Biff isn't even what does it right. No, it's, it's him taking, uh, his girlfriend at the time, wife Lorraine back from Malachi that actually solidifies the whole timeline thing. Huh. That's what makes Michael J. Fox pop back up. And it does make the question, why the heck would that have been it? Like, you'd think Biff, that would have been enough. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially like, when he knocked him on the ground. Yeah. And then he comes back in and he's going to start walking away from someone Dude, who cussed him on his dancing. What the, who's, who's this kid? Malachi. I understand he was in Children of the Corn the year preceding. And, and he's he was a scary, scary dude. <laughs> That's one scary ginger. <laughs> <laughs> but but the truth of the matter is, he's no Biff. Yeah. I, yeah. Make like a tree like back and get out of here. And she's all saying, no, no. Yeah, and he's no. all grabbing he's her. Like, <laughs> laughing. Yeah. Come on, George. Creepy. Sack up. Sexual assault, man. God. Oh, no, that was. You forget how subversive that movie is. And then you have kids <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to show my five year old. And you're like, ooh, <laughs> I am not explaining that. I'm not, I'm not explaining that. <laughs> I am not explaining that either. Like the whole rape scene in the car? Yeah, the, the, the attempted rape scene or the, or the fact that his mom is like ready to. Go to town Jump on him. Bones, yeah. Oh my <laughs> God. Calvin, that was written all over your underwear when I was looking at your underwear. Yeah. Daddy? <laughs> Daddy? Why why is his mommy rubbing on his thigh? <laughs> Daddy? Why are they in a car drinking liquor and his mommy looks like she's about to mount him? <laughs> Daddy? Why is that man in a tree with binoculars staring at a woman who's going naked? What's a peeping Tom? That's how the entire yeah, movie would be, and I'm not doing that to Back to the Future or myself. Not yet. I will say it is absolutely true that you watch a movie uh, when you're single, either being a kid or when you're um, you know, teenager or even young adult, and you don't notice those things. And not you at have all. Kids, you have kids, and you watch a movie, and you're like, oh, my God, I didn't realize there was much sex in this yeah. movie. Yeah, or- you turn like, into, like, <laughs> you turn into, like, old man Peabody, yes, you, you know, do. prude extraordinaire. You're like... Well, that, that's uncalled for. <laughs> All right. I don't remember. I, I'm, show, but I'm showing them the pilot to A-Team. And, and as I'm watching, I'm like, dude, I don't remember being this violent. I'm thinking, I'm like, yes. I'm thinking should I turn it off now? Because this is like, I keep saying, and every time I have, they're like, are those people dead? I'm like, no, no, watch, watch. It's like G.I. Joe. <laughs> yep, they get out. See, every time. No, they're fine. Nobody, no, nobody it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Sorry. Um, wait until you sit to watch a movie with your 18 and 16-year-old kids. So they're mature. They can uh. handle it. You're watching a movie and some like not even like a, a sex scene, but kind of like a PG-13 sex scene comes on and you're watching it with him. You're like, uh, I feel really gross right now. <laughs> I, I don't I, I got it. Should I turn this off? They're almost a, they're adults. Yeah. One adult. One. Okay, yeah. Come on. Fast forward. Fast forward. The good news <laughs> is they feel even grosser than you do. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. That's the good news. Oh my god! Well, I, I really feel like there's a couple key things about this movie that if we don't if we don't attack, oh yeah, yeah. then we will be remiss. There it is. <laughs> First off, now he said "sickum boy," but what I heard was "chopper sick balls." And I pretty much want to go over this just so I can continuously do this. Chopper sick balls. Can chopper, I say something? Sick balls. Yes. Can I say something? Sure. Uh, across Skype and recording and everything here. Uh, you sound just like Richard Dreyfus because when you played that drop, I wasn't expecting it. I thought you were saying it. <laughs> Hold on, wait, wait, wait. Here, see, see which one's which? Chopper, sick balls. Chopper, sick balls. Chopper, uh, see, you're, sick you're, balls. I'm forcing you're it. Trying. I'm forcing it. All right, so chopper, sick balls. What, what wrong one? <laughs> chopper, sick balls. Chopper, sick balls. Chopper, yeah, it's something in your inflection. Balls. It's very similar. Hmm. I don't know if I should take that as an insult or not. No, it's, uh, uh, it's Richard Dreyfuss. Pretty cool guy. Yeah, that's, pretty, true. that's true. That's true. That's true. I, I, that's true. I could only hope. It's better than looking like Ed Norton Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Why? 
Edward, why am I brain He's the guy that was in the Hulk and uh Yeah, okay, yeah, Edward Edward Norton. Yeah. yeah, okay. His last name is he has a junior? Uh, I believe so, yes. Oh wow, I've only ever heard of him uh, as Edward that's Norton. That's the only celebrity anyone has ever told me I look like is Ed Norton. Really? Yeah. Nobody else from say, I don't know, a horror movie. Oh, shut up. When I was in middle school, they said I looked like the kid from Children of the Corn. Not even Malachi, like the brown hair. I'll be honest with you, you got the better end of that deal. <laughs> Probably. You really did. I'd rather look like Isaac. I'd be kind of scared if someone said I looked like Malachi. Yeah, yeah. Isaac, I'm good with. Malachi, yeah. no offense. <laughs> Courtney Gaines, you're an awesome actor, but not so much. By the way, I've got to watch that this uh, this Halloween season because it's on Netflix, and I've been meaning to watch it for years, and be I haven't seen it in a long be time. Before we, I derail us too much, before we yeah, yeah. wrap this up, there's, oh, remind yeah, yeah. me to tell you something. Just say, tell me, say, Children of the Corn short film, and I'll remember. That's all I'm asking. Okay. Okay. So let's get back to our big things of this. Movie, okay. So, so Chopper sticking balls. Yep. I remember as a kid thinking that scene was hilarious. Yep. It's still humorous, obviously. And I guess now, this whole movie to me, there was moments that you chuckle. As a kid, I think I laughed just because it was, you know, shocking to see, you know, hear kids talking about some of the things, even yeah. though, like I said, me and my friends probably did the same thing. But, For the same reason Jerry O'Connell's uh, in the little vignette, yes. uh, he talked about he loved it because he got to say swear words to his mom and yep. he, when they when were practicing, practicing lines. the script. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it's yeah. the same. It's that immaturity, right? right. So, so, but the chopper sick balls scene, I think what I find very intriguing about it is the kids just scramble, leaving poor Gordy. So I oh, guess yeah. we, have to set, we have to set it up. So in case you haven't seen it, in which case I would hope at this point you've turned it off and watched it, then came back. But that 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 aside, so the kids are hiding out in this auto lot, and they were they're this uh, junkyard, and they were apprehensive of going in there because there was this rumor that there was a dog there called Chopper, and he the guy who owned the place had trained him to only stick one part of the anatomy, hence the line. And so they're in there, they're waiting. Well, they send Gordy out to get some eats because they had forgotten to bring it with them. And when he returns from the store, they're all scrambling over a fence 100 yards away. And he rolls up like, hey, what's going on? He looks over, the owner of the junkyard's out with his dog, and he says, you know, hey, you, kid, get over here. And so Gordy takes off, and then all you all you hear is, because this is Richard Dreyfus. Now he said, sick him, boy. But what I heard was, chopper, sick ball. <laughs> and then the kids, <laughs> running as fast as yeah. he can. <clears throat> but that part culminates with the guy, just the guy is a cruel bastard, man. He's like... Oh. Oh man, totally. Because like he gets over the fence, and they're being little typical turd twelve year olds, okay? And they're giving this dog hell, like, "Hey, chopper, sick ass, choppy." Others being little jerks. Uh, yeah. yeah, they're but, teasing the dog, but and the guy 12. runs over. It's like, yeah, and he's like, "Stop teasing my dog, you sons of bitches!" You know, or whatever. And yeah, and then he starts making fun of Teddy. Yes, uh, saying you're the loony, the loony son, you know, and starts just ripping into him. Loony, about loony, his dad. loony. It was so mean. And then, and then he just goes and he just unleashes this rage. And I don't know if you caught that in the documentary, but Feldman made the comment that pretty much that was real <laughs> like that. Yes. All, and you well, got, it really was like, I don't think I've ever seen Feldman act as well as he does in this movie. Like there's something very raw and real about him that he never had in any other movie other than maybe Friday the 13th part four. <laughs> just because i wanted to say that that was beautiful yes of course. Like that. um yeah because rob reiner talked about when you uh when you cast kids of this age in the 12 year old range like this um you have to cast them that have personalities similar to the character you're trying to mm -hmm. uh portray because he said they just don't have the skills yet to completely act outside of their personality so he found kids that had personalities similar to it and he 
even comments that in Corey Feldman, uh, he had a lot of pent up anger and um, issues. And at that time in his life was going through a lot of crap and that's who he was and who he acted out. Yep. And you, and you got that vibe. You definitely oh, got yeah, it. Totally. It, it was very raw. It was very raw, but you know that the junkyard guy brings something up and um, it, it goes back to what I was talking about, about their innocence. There is no softness in their lives. And in the course of this movie, everything is vile and painful and uh, uh, disgusting. There's no adults that are good to them. There are no, even the, the one, um, the grocery. See, I was going to bring him up because he was the only one that didn't, I mean, he brought up his brother. Yeah, but, but he wasn't mean to him, but yeah. he, he was very cold. He's like, I felt well, he, what was you do? he was he, thoughtless. Like he wasn't, a, he wasn't being a jerk to be a jerk, but he wasn't like, and you know, I guess if you think about it, you know, the quote unquote, good old days back in the fifties, there wasn't probably a lot of consideration for a kid, especially a boy's feelings. You know what I'm saying? Not even that. It wasn't even like his feelings. It was just. What do you do? Do you do anything? I mean, he's just kind of a. I did. I, I, that, I, it's interesting you took it that way. I took it more as just that generic, you know. Oh, you know. So, like, what are you into, kid? Your brother was this awesome football player. You play football. Look at his face when he says he says, uh, you know, your brother was so good at football. He goes, do you play football? And the, and that's when you know uh, Gordy was kind of having a flashback, and he wakes up. He says, what? He says, do you play football? He goes, oh no. And the guy kind of gets this look on his face. He kind of is like, what do you do? And it was kind of, and the way that Gordy took it yeah. was the same way his whole life was, was that his brother was everything and he was nothing. Yeah. And that was kind of what his internal turmoil was, is that he felt like he was worthless and, you know, uh, compared to No, but you have a great that. point because like even no matter what, I, I mean, when they're, when they shoot the garbage can outside the restaurant, the way the woman comes out screaming at him, the fact yeah. that, that, uh, they don't show anybody in this movie who is nice to them other than Denny, his, his Denny, his older brother. Who's and he's dead. dead. So that's <laughs> everything else is just and each other. But if you think about it, yes, act- and to each other, and that's what the power of it is, is because they they find that solace, they find that happiness and companionship just with the four of them. Do you think? And you think Nobody about else. it. Think about it though. Actually, it's kind of a brilliant move because there's moments when those four together are pretty mean and cruel to each other, and that's typical of that age. But yeah, I yeah. wonder how it would have played. Had it not been the case that there were people out in their world that were far, far worse than they were to each other. You know what I'm saying? Like if it had been like oh, everybody, definitely. it would be so soft and people love them and they're so nice. And you just kind of thought, these guys are little jerks, it. you know? Yeah, I don't think you would have bought it because I think part of what made the four of them work or you buy it, that they were there for each other. Even as much as Teddy teased Vern, which seemed like probably the least um, friendly of the four of them. But even that, you bought it because against the rest of the world... Oh yeah. They were brothers. Yeah. You know, they were close as you possibly could get. Um, and they were there for each other because everything else was God awful. I mean, it, was, it really was. It really terrible. was. I agree with that. Now, what it's a depressing what, ass movie, man. Yeah. And, and, and I, and obviously there was a whole train sequence. I don't know that I, I found it interesting when they talked about in the documentary that Rob Reiner really made them cry. Got that them was to, awful. Yeah, it really was. That was just freaking, you know, uh, so for those of you who haven't seen it, the vignette basically uh, has Rob Reiner talking about making the movie because he was the director, obviously. And um, at one point he talked about the scene where they were filming, where the four boys are walking across the trestle and the trestles over this hundred foot gorge uh, where there's the river and rocks down at the bottom. And they don't want to cross it at first because they're afraid if a train comes. Well, of course, if you haven't seen the movie, a train comes and they're trying to run off of the bridge before the train hits them. And Rob Reiner talks about filming 
us. And he said, you know, we put it on a, a dolly and we've got the uh, dolly with the camera on it, trying to follow the kids as they're running. But every time they're running, they're just, they're not looking scared and it's not really working. And, and he, he even explains it and the kids talk about it. Well, they're grown now that he yelled at them. He goes, these people have been here all day. They're tired. They don't want to do this and it's anymore. Because of, because of you. And he made them cry for real. Yeah. So what you're and saying there is not acting. Started, and, and he said, as they started crying, he's just like, Oh, oh, start filming, start rolling, start rolling. Okay, go. And and they all talk about it like it's this brilliant directorial moment. And even like Will Wheaton older and, and Jerry O'Connell's like, it was amazing. You know, he got us to really cry. And I'm thinking, what a dick. Yeah. <laughs> what an asshole. I don't care if he was trying to get them to act. He really yelled at them and made them cry yeah. now, I, on I, the scene. And I, he didn't feel bad. Well, no, <laughs> I think he did. Like, I got a vibe that Rob Reiner made the comment that afterwards he he, he consoled them and he felt a little and you know keep in mind too i don't know that it was in high again memory is a funny thing and i almost wondered the way rob reiner was describing it it could just be he lost his cool because he was exhausted because when you're yeah, working 14 hot. they were all it, out it, on this yeah yeah, yeah 100 yeah. degrees outside you're on top of this yeah. train you've been sitting there all for 16 hours straight because he's probably right, been up since right, three right. in the morning and trying to do the same damn scene and you got these kids goofing off not being serious probably even messing around we don't know what's been happening up to this moment and he probably yeah. lost his freaking cool and just went nuts on him and as a result got a pretty believable <laughs> reaction now i i've heard stories i had a instructor once who I want to say was it, I think it was a script writing class I took and she had been a producer out in La La Land. And she said that one of the things that made her not want to work on productions anymore that involved little kids was she actually was on one where she was a production manager and had been on one where they were trying to figure out how to make this baby cry. And it was a baby, like a less than a toddler. And, and obviously it's a baby, you know, unless it's going to cry on its own, it's not crying. And somebody suggested what if we just take a little pin <gasps> and poke its foot? No way. And they asked the parent. And the parent said, do it. Oh, my God. Now, I'm getting that secondhand. Second hand. I, 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 I cannot prove it. nor confirm nor deny anything. I don't know. But all I, and I'm not obviously naming names. Of, but all I know is that if that's even fractionally true, that's yeah. beyond crap. <laughs> yeah, no. You know what you do? You wrap a friggin' doll up in a blanket and you do something called sound effects, D-bag. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And see, that's what this felt like to me with Rob kind of just when Rob Reiner was describing yeah. it, um, he did, you know, he said, yeah, and we had a close relationship. So that's why I was able to do it. Cause they felt safe with me. And afterwards, <laughs> and then afterwards, they never want to talk to him. Right. But, but the way he described it, he was so proud of it. That to me, like I, as a human being, the way I would feel after that would be like, you know what? It wasn't worth the scene. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have treated the kids that way. Yeah, it came out great, but yeah. I, the the line that I crossed, I you know, I shouldn't have done it, and I apologize. And it, something like that. I didn't feel that tone at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's so. fair. No, that's fair. A fair observation. Uh, <laughs> and, and did you catch what the uh, the the did you? I don't know if you read any of the behind the scenes stuff, but the lens that they used, because apparently the way they shot that is the kids were one into the trestle and the train was actually at the far end. It was nowhere near them, but it looks like it's right on their heels at yeah, one point. I, I assumed it was some, you know, trick with depth of field. Yeah, it, was. it was, a it was a 600 millimeter telephoto lens. My God. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All the way out and just on them. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. They yeah were, and that, it was a good that, effect. And it worked because it felt like it looked like the train was right the hell behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, when they were crossing it, but, um, quick story before we move on here. Um, when I was in college, I actually 
actually went on a hike with a friend of mine, just two of us. Uh, we hiked this train track um, up in the Panhandle of Florida, and it was along this uh, like cliff area that they've got. And we hiked for like miles, and we got to the end, and we'd never been this way before. And we didn't even, we, you know, we weren't. You're not supposed to hike train tracks because yeah. they are dangerous, yeah. right? Um, but we wanted to do it because it's a beautiful view. Is this a uh, beautiful area. Uh, and we had lots of views of where the train was coming. So it was never blind corners or any of that. We got all the way to the end and we could see where, where like the parking lot of the other area was. And there was actually a trestle. Now it only was about 20 feet off of an inlet and it was salt water. But don't think that this movie didn't go through my <laughs> head every freaking step of the way and I was scared shitless. And this thing was only 25, 50 yards. The one that's in this movie is what? 150 yards, oh, 200 yeah. yards. At least that's the impression you get for sure. Yeah. Right. Um, but I would, the whole way I'm thinking I'm going to die on these train tracks. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Were you crawling? Were you doing, were you doing the burn? <laughs> no, we ran our ass. See, I remember, <laughs> and this, by the way, having three boys is the kind of thing that makes me go, Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit more on top of things than my old man was. <laughs> Again, hang out with my buddies, Johnny Jeff. What We did that thing, remember being a kid, in, before you could drive, where the sneaking out is the most glorious thing in the world. There's such a freedom, such a sense of unbelievable autonomy when you sneak out and you're walking through the night with a couple of your buddies and you're like 13, 14 years old. and. Your heart's racing, your adrenaline's pumping because everything has a newness and a rawness, even though you've walked through that stinking neighborhood like a thousand times, but not at night. It changes the whole dynamic, right? Well, one night we decide, because we did this multiple times, we decided, here's a good idea. There's a lot of train tracks that run through Winter Haven where I was my dad at the time. I may have been living with him at that time. I may have been for eighth grade. So I may have been actually living there. It was around the summertime and we thought it would be a great idea. You know those elect, electric electrical boxes, the really big ones, like the junction. I don't know if they're a junction box or something, yeah. but they always transformer. Sit, or yeah, and yeah, they're they always like just a, and there was like a few feet off of the actual track, right? Yeah. Well, we found one of those, and we thought we thought this is a good idea. This uh, it was a <laughs> it was a. Uh, a track that was like there was a little hump in the road. Okay. Does this story end in any kind of a train wreck or derailment? I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> if this was the actual inspiration for the Amazing Stories episode Ghost Train. No, just kidding. Uh, but no, we, we actually, I thought this idiot here explains my twitchy eye and bald head. Uh, uh -huh. This guy just thought it would be great to lay like kind of lean up against that electrical box now this one was probably i'm gonna guess about five feet off the tracks okay and right. it the way this this hill was it was steep enough that it was almost like you were not reclined but a little bit there was a yeah. little bit of like you're almost like gravity took over the hair you're kind of laying up and here comes a train and i stayed there well the train went by yes dude and to this oh, day oh i remember I didn't quite, as they put it in the movie, turn my fruit of the looms into a Hershey factory, <laughs> but it was close because oh even though my perception was that it was like right in front of my nose, it, I probably couldn't have reached my arm out and touched it <laughs> only once, uh, but it felt like it was on top of me. And it, the worst part was because that angle, it was so tall. It had that illusion because of the speed. It created that optical illusion like it was about to fall on top of me. So it made it a thousand times worse. 
<laughs> so what I'm saying is if you have boys, especially teenage boys, for the love of God, get bars on your windows, <laughs> lock them in. And once they've gotten past 25 and their brain has actually caught up to the rest of the regular normal world, then you can set them free. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I can't. That's one of those you look back and think, I can't believe I'm alive now. Yes. And I think I've told you my story of being, it was right at, I think I was in video productions still. And we thought it for our video yearbook, it was my senior year. For my video yearbook that year, we thought it would be a great idea. Out near my, my, my aunt's house was a pretty rural type area with train tracks. And I had this whole opening sequence planned where these guys are creating some kind of heist situation where they're st- end up turns out they're stealing the yearbook or something like that dumb but i had this whole image in my head where i i took our school video cameras these are at the time they were svhs camcorders and they were worth a few hundred bucks right and you know oh, yeah. early 90s mid 90s early to mid 90s it was you know not cheap yep we went to this train track dug a hole in, oh, my in, God. Did you put them in the tracks I when put, the train went over them? Wait, wait. I put the camera in because my goal was in my, my storyboard that I had created. I actually had this whole sequence where the three or four guys all lost them. I mean, I think it's probably where I got the image to some degree, except they were going to be running perpendicular across the tracks with that light behind them as the train was approaching. It's like just a just cool silhouetted visual, you know, at night. And then, uh, yeah. yeah, I had this whole thing in my head. Granted, I didn't bring any external light. So I, in hindsight, I'm like, you were just going to use the light from the train genius and the moon, uh-huh. I guess. And these were like, again, SVHS cameras. They weren't exactly notorious for being great in low light situations. I, yeah, so I've got, exactly. So I've got it buried in the train tracks between the, I don't know what they call it, not rivets, but you know what I'm talking about, the actual. Yeah, yeah. They're are, they tre- are they trestles? What are these things called? The wooden beams, the. Uh, you know what I'm um, talking about? Hold on. I know what they're called. Um, are you cheating? No, I'm not. I'm, I I moved some with my dad. We dug them in. They are ties. Railroad that, ties. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, I just started with a T. That's why trestle, I think, was in my head. So Ties. Yes. And so I, between the ties, dug a hole, and we're just hanging. We And it literally... This is, you know, a, a major, a pretty, we thought at the time this would be a pretty major train area because I always remember it's, the train tracks ran right behind my aunt's house and it seemed like they were always coming by. Well, Probably came like once a day. <laughs> it turns out. So we're sitting there. It's, you know, 11 o'clock, midnight, one o'clock in the morning. No freaking train. All of a sudden we hear, put your hands in the air. <gasps> Dude, cops. <laughs> because there was a junkyard <laughs> on the other side that we didn't know that anybody was apparently living in a la chopper sick balls guy <laughs> and one of the geniuses i was with was speculating and, and just sort of hypothesizing about what a bomb would do to a train oh my god so Are of course they call to tell the police there's some guys on the train truck talking about a bomb now bombing the train track thank god this is pre-9-11 or i'd still be in guantanamo that or dead they were on the track. And the worst part is one of the geniuses that was with me, he was like one of those guys that had, he didn't quite have a mullet because he was more of a metalhead, but not yeah. redneck metal, but he was also like a, a computer nerd. And he, I think, it, like looking back on it, he was a lot older than all of us, which was kind of weird that he was hanging out with us. He was kind of <laughs> like the guy in Cloak and Dagger that William Forsyth <laughs> plays. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. Yes. And to bring it back around to an earlier episode of Forgotten Flicks. And, and so... It, I remember, mm-hmm. I think his name was Jacob or Jake or something. And, and and he's like, the cops are telling him to stop. He just keeps walking at them. And I remember I was like, dude, effing stop. 
He's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Pretty much that was like the attitude. Like, hey, what, man? What? What? Oh Go ahead. Call my parents. <laughs> I didn't do shit. As they shoot him. I, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and again, how we did not get arrested. They didn't. I, uh, they just I, said, pack it. They, we explained what we were doing. We were the high, and they were like, they kind of laughed at us. And then they're like, all right, guys, you need to pack your crap up and get out of here. Don't let's catch you again. This is private property, blah, 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 blah. Because as it turns out, uh, as, uh, another lesson. See, the pod, this podcast is all about teaching lessons, folks. Turns out <laughs> CSX actually owns the tracks, and that's like private property. It is. I and thought you it was public. Going on the tracks. I thought it yeah. was public. Nope, you can be arrested for going on tracks. I found that out the hard way. Though it could have been harder. It could have been harder. It could have been harder. You could have been dead. That uh, been there are going to be so many. That, that, that could have gone sideways. I'm pretty much convinced yes. if, if there are multiverses where all the different possibilities of your life are transpiring at the same time, there are many <laughs> variations where that shit goes sideways. There's a lot of your death at that crossroads, yes. A lot. <laughs> uh, one, I'm shot. It's like Groundhog Day. It's like Groundhog Day. One, I'm shot. One, I'm hit by the train. Hey, let's go. Let's go film in that junkyard. That can't go wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one. That, that's it. Yeah, one variation. I say. Well, while we're waiting, let's go just hang on the junkyard, and a big pile of cars shots. falls on me. Oh my God. We find Freddy Krueger's bones. I see why you connected with this movie. Do you? Uh, you were that. You I, were those kids. I kind of was. <laughs> kind of were those kids. Yeah, kind of was. <laughs> So that being said, uh, do you have anything else you'd like to address before we uh-huh. give our opinion on this motion picture? There's obviously a lot of other stuff in this movie we didn't talk about. There, there, uh, there was the the sort of the classic one. I know everybody's gonna like. Why don't you talk about the? Uh, yeah, yeah, because it was really gross and depressing. That actually, I realized how I did take that. It's funny watching that part as an adult. They real quick synopsis. Gordy tells him a story on the campfire about this kid who's really heavy and everybody's really mean to him, calls him that mean name, and his revenge on them is that he makes everybody have a, a complete and total barfaram where people puking all, all over each other. And by the way, side note, the trivia screwed me up forever. They said that was made out of cottage cheese and blueberries, which I sometimes eat for breakfast. No longer. Dude, the worst part about that whole sequence, and I remember this even as a kid, because they, they obviously do this kind of really cartoonish throw up where where there's a big pipe behind the person's head hidden from the camera. Yes. And it comes out in gallons. Yes. Right? Projectile vomit. Like it's a fire hose. But everybody that gets vomited on has their mouths open, man. They have their mouths. Ma- oh, I know. It's like all in their mouths. Oh, I know. It's, it's so gross. It is really nasty. That's why I didn't, I didn't want to talk about it because I'm just afraid. It's just that part is nasty the, to this day. The story of that, you know, is, is basically that Gordy is a writer and a storyteller. He's and that, Stephen King. Just, Obviously. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what they were, that's where they're, uh, that's what they're trying to, that part of the movie is really just kind of accentuating that he's a really good storyteller and that's what, that's kind of where he's going in life type of thing. Yeah. 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 So, so, so anyway, so there's that part. And we can talk about that. And, uh, yes, because, see. because also one, one last thing, Gordy also points out. Diving into his fifth pie, Lardass began to imagine that he wasn't eating pies. He pretended he was eating cow flops and rat guts and blueberry sauce. And the worst part is like if you hear the Yes, it is so gross. Oh, so, <laughs> so gross. nasty, man. Uh, and then we didn't talk about the whole leech on Gordy's junk where they oh, go through the yeah. water. I seem to always forget about that part until it's happening and then I'm like, "Oh god, this is where he pulls the leech off his off his nuts." Oh, <laughs> you know, you know, out. you know what? I bet you he was wishing that this had happened. Chopper sick balls. Because then that <laughs> wouldn't have happened. <laughs> That's, it's leech sick balls. Yeah, yeah, actually, that's what happens. They taught, they trained the leeches. 
So uh, uh, let's go ahead and do our take on this motion picture. From a one to a five, a one being you threw it back on the counter, enraged at the video <laughs> store. A five, five being you you you, that, yeah. you you just you you lied, you kept it, you paid the eighty five dollars um, for the video. For me, yeah, this, I I would have to have kept it just because there's so many classic bits to it. I mean, uh, this is this one you memorize so many lines. It's it's such a um, a piece of movie history um, from the '80s. It's Rob Reiner. It's Stephen King. It's uh, you know the cast. I'd have to keep it. This is one I would want to own in my uh, collection just because it's such a classic. Um, it, it wasn't. I don't know if it just wasn't as funny as I remember. Like you, you said, as a kid, I laughed more than I did now. Um, but I still loved it. The cinematography was great. The music was good. The acting by the little kids is amazing. Because um, everybody was being mean so, to them the whole time, making them cry. Right, right. You know, um, but even their interplay, like between them, they, they, it was natural. So um, I would keep it and give it a five. Yeah, that, that, like hands down, this is a five, and yeah. I do own it, ex- except I currently yeah. don't have it. <laughs> no, I and I and I. This is what I hadn't watched. I probably hadn't seen it in, oh man, ten years at least. Even though I owned it, yeah, same for me. And yeah. and I, I, I forgot how, what a tight well-constructed little movie it is and there's so many layers to it that i'd like to rewatch it again and and just have a different context i think what's my boys are older much older than i was when i saw it Uh, yeah hey nine-year-old or eight-year-old come watch this movie so we can (laughs) teach you how to cuss like a sailor older than the kids in the movie yes exactly and i and i watch it with them i think it'll be interesting to see their take on it too like to see because i found that that's a fun experience now uh, like, like for instance yeah and and i and i i feel like before we wrap this actually i'm gonna never mind i'm gonna say that for the last episode i'm not gonna say that now yeah i'm, I'm gonna hold it in um, i hold it in it is and it's i like um especially i like rewatching it just myself you know we've talked about that and kind of having a new perspective on it yeah um like you mentioned the scene where the chopper stick falls apart that and the train are the two two times in the movie when they actually show will wheaton in slow motion yeah I, it added so much to it. The, I mean, the pacing of the movie, like you said, it's very tight. It's very well uh, paced. Um, but just those segments, it's almost like the memory was slowed down. It's mm-hmm. what it gave you to feel like reliving it, True. you know, that it was such a big deal. And that was such a huge, uh, such a powerful memory that it felt like an hour that they were running across that trestle or that the dog was chasing them kind of thing, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just very well constructed. So I, I like it. Yeah. Excellent movie, excellent uh, job, my friend. And uh, one one final note on 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 Stand by Me: Is it me or he did or did he not hit save before he turned off the computer? At the he end? did. He did. <laughs> I thought the same thing. He turns it off, and you're like, um, dude. Oh, and that old fashioned computer, man. That was woo, clickety clickety click on oh, the. Oh, and, and tell me how true. Like now, as an adult, as a kid, never thought about it. Never kid. That didn't occur to me this time. I laughed my butt. The part I laughed probably the hardest is when he's sitting there. In the flow, in the moment, trying to finish his story up. His kids interrupt him. Dad, you said we're going to go, blah, blah, blah. He says, yeah, yeah, I'll be there in a, in a second. He goes, be right there. Yeah, he goes, I'll be, I'll be right there. And, and he goes, yeah, that's what you always say. You already said that to you know, 30 minutes ago. Yeah. It's just like, oh, that is so true. I do that I all know, the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll be I like this one. Yeah, give me two seconds. Like, to me, I see two two minutes and it's it's symbolic. It, it is. It, it, it is. implies that I won't be on here for two hours. I'll be right there. I'll be right there. I'll be right there. Oh, you said that half an hour ago. And I yes, meant I'm... it when I said 
<laughs> Swear some. Yeah, so that was very, very true and very funny. So on that note, would you like to uh, share your movie picks? Yes. My friend, what yes. is your movie pickage? Yes. All right, I'm going to keep this quick because we've been rambling for a while. But um, So I went with a relatively uh, easy one. But, you know, typically you think Rob Reiner, uh, you think of – I at least I do. I think of a lot of the lighter, the comedy, the things that he's done. Um, uh, like this – I mean it was a dark movie, but there was definitely, you know, uh, comedy in it, kind of dark comedy. But I think about, about like romantic comedies he's done and, and some of the others. But I actually picked one – another Stephen King movie he did, Misery from 1990. He mm-hmm. did just a couple of years later. Um, and I chose it for a couple of reasons. I do like the movie. Um, I think Kathy Bates, uh, who plays um, Annie, yeah, I think Annie was Wilkes. Annie, right? yep, Annie Wilkes. Uh, plays Annie, uh, was great. James Caan is good in it. Uh, but I also remember reading this book, oh, yeah. and I had not seen the movie when I read the book. Um, and I was a big. This is what turned me on to Stephen King, and I started really like in high school. Was it high school or right after? It was right around the, my late teens. I really just dove into Stephen King's works. Um, but this is the book that I remember reading in the dark in my living room. My parents were asleep. I was sitting in the living room. It's like midnight and I wanted to finish it. And I got to the end. It literally scared me like watching a scary movie. Mm-hmm. And it's the only book I remember that actually made me feel scared. Like in the now. Yeah. Um, it, it impacted me that it, way. It, it was like that too. And so was pet cemetery. Both of all three of those, all yes. three of them were and like that. So intense. Um, and, and the movie's different. I mean, it, the book is, has got so much more to it and that, and it happens a lot. And we've talked about that before. I won't go into that, but, um, but it's also a very good movie. And oh, the movie's fantastic. Yeah. I love that. It's just a perfect, crazy lady, but very calm at one point, explosive in another. So, um, but I thought it was neat. And I, I didn't know it was a Rob Reiner movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I totally forgotten that I was looking him up and trying to, you know, pick something. And so, um, so I picked misery from 1990 directed by rob reiner written by stephen king um and screenplay by william goldman oh and and, and I, we don't have to go down this trail but i would have really been remiss because i would have had it in my notes and i really wanted to ask you about it but that reminds me rob reiner's production company is castle rock which is named uh, after yes. the fictional stephen the, the king town. town in maine that yeah, a lot of his story right. all of his stories take place now castle rock in both the book and movie needful things especially the book as i recall is it being destroyed because that's the one with the devil and the whole cursed object yeah, that's right and the wishes people get their wishes and so castle rock within and especially if you consider king and how a lot of his stories are interconnected the reason why i brought up earlier teddy uh it was it was a champ right wasn't that his name yeah yes teddy DeChamp. yeah yep. the Corey feldman character being at a convenience or a uh, gas station is because there's a connection in the book carrie they mention him the character Oh, really? Yes. And Ace was mentioned or is mentioned in the book Needful Things. He actually may even be a, a kind of a sub character. Character. So, yeah. So a lot of these guys and characters exist in other King properties. And, and of course, have people who universe, fo- yeah. fo- follow the whole gunslinger mythos and, and know yeah. that there's a lot of crossover and connections to other books. So here's my point. As realistic as this movie is, as real as it is, because it's happening in the King verse. Yeah. And it's in Castle Rock, a make-believe town that eventually will succumb to the powers of Lucifer. Does that mean that in a weird way, these kids are living in the same universe where all that wacky crap is happening? 
Uh, yeah, I, because, I think if, it's because the movie, you never get that from this movie, right? I mean, if this is the only movie you ever saw, Kennedy Stephen King, or any, you would just think, okay, it's just a coming of age story. There's, but I, I, I got think about it, like beyond the like the walls, the frame of this movie in the world these kids are living in, in the universe, the same universe as them. All yeah. of this weird, wacky crap is happening. Well, it's the same thing with misery. Misery was the same thing. There's no supernatural force there, uh, but. It's in the same unit. It takes place in Maine. You know, yeah, well, no, in- actually, well, no, hold on. Did it? Or was it in Colorado? I can't. I always thought it was Maine, too. But I remember reading something not that long ago. And I, I was like, was it? Because I know it, The Shining is Colorado. Always, well, yeah, because King always has that, you know, Alpine mountain area. Sure, sure, sure. It's always kind of the same feel to it. I want to say, but was it, was it, he, wasn't it, was it Colorado? It might have been. I don't remember. Again, was there was only a, a way to look up information uh, like that. I'm not looking that up. I'm looking up. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that I, that's believable that it's all within that same because he has that crossover. He does that yeah. where he's the same town name, the same reference. They even mention Castle Rock yeah. in this movie. Like yeah. they reference it as another town and um, and another one, too. They mentioned another town that uh, that was in another. Was it Derry? May have been. Yeah. No, Bangor. No, is no, it? no. Bangor is a real place. Yeah, I know they, it is. But I, meant, I couldn't remember if they. No, you... they meant because this is supposed to take place in Oregon. Was it? Uh, yeah, I believe so. I believe they, it's supposed to be Oregon, but anyway, um, th- there's a lot. I believe that there could be, you know, it's the same universe of crossover, like it. It could be a lot of the same types sure. of things with, uh, with the kids when they were, you know, dealing. with Oh, anyone. that's true. Yeah, and the, yeah. So I, I just thought the the idea. Okay, there was a good example. So the idea that well, it's happening in the fifties. Yeah, it's same parallel thing. with this thing. Maybe these, they maybe they even that. they could have known some of the kids. I don't know. I just the idea of that I think is really cool. I like that. So, okay, All right. Ex- excellent, excellent pick. One of my favorites. Uh, that so anyway, really did good. you get that? It was uh, the screenplay was written by William Goldman. Yes, which Princess Bride. Excellent. And it wrote the book for Princess Bride. We just covered, yeah. Yeah, very nice. I had three connections. I was that was good. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> I would say you win the internet, but since technically we're recording this, we're not on the internet yet. You win the podcast. That's true. All right. Well, thank you very much. I chose. What's your pick? I chose another Stephen King adaptation because great minds think alike, or you <laughs> should so just be scared. Uh, it is 1997's the night flyer have you ever heard or seen heard of or seen the night flyer it does not sound familiar okay the basic premise from imdaba a reporter's on the trail of a vampiric murderer who travels by plane it's a short story that he wrote okay and it came out in 97 like i said it stars miguel ferreira miguel ferrer uh the actor who was in robocop he's the guy who has that really great gravelly voice uh he oh, yeah. played bob whatever his name was in robocop he was in iron man 3 most recently um yeah he just he's a fantastic character character actor his father was jose ferrer who was a very well-known uh, famous academy award-winning actor oh he played bob morton in robocop that's right and the the basic premise is he's as i recall it's been i literally saw it when it came out on video, because I had followed it, the story of uh, its making in Fangoria, because the guy who made it, it was his first film, and he had contacted King, and I, I, I honestly, I should have looked this up before, his, his name was uh, Mark Pavia, and I want to say that he had contacted King to say that he'd done a short version of it, or he'd done something with it, and he got King to yeah. agree to uh, like option it to him for like next to nothing. 
and the guy wrote the script and King liked it and long story short made into this wow. it's not a perfect movie but I really remember liking it and it's kind of this cool idea because really the vampire just travels from small town to small town in this tiny plane and when he lands he it's like you know the midnight hour night shift at these tiny airports and he only feeds on the people at the airport and then he leaves and so there's no uh, real way to track him there's no yeah, you gotcha. and so what ends up happening is Miguel Ferrer's character ends up going on his trail and and it seemed to remember he's like a tabloid type reporter so he's a little nope. sleazy which you know he does really well as an actor so it, yeah, it, it's a, it's a really cool little low budget horror movie that's in, in the king canon so that was my pick yes. the night flyer from 1997 did the guy do anything else mark pavia uh well uh i will tell you momentarily i believe he did but i don't know if it was anything like that was probably his biggest yeah it looks like he did a lot of well not a lot of actually he has four other three other directing credits uh two upcoming <laughs> and one short that was actually so no he hasn't done a lot since that which is interesting it makes me actually want to investigate him hmm. more i wonder i wonder yeah, yeah. why see what happened yeah huh. interesting so anyway. yes those are my picks and i'm going to tease out the fact that the short film that i mentioned earlier i said something about a oh, short yes. intro, children of the corn Yep, children and, of the corn and I will say this, that as part of the Spooky Flicks Fest, I'm going to tease it out, that there may or may not exist a short film that is that is not connected to the 84 feature that actually came out the year beforehand exists. What? As, uh-huh. As well but as it's some, still based on the Stephen King It is King exactly story? based on it. And it's only about 20 minutes long, and I may have watched it last night. And huh? and huh. and there may be a whole lot of other ones, because there may be this whole thing about King and short short filmmaker we'll go into that because wow. i'm thinking i want to address it in the spooky flicks fest which is upcoming and and i'm even thinking about dedicating a bonus episode to it just because i think it's kind of a really Ooh. cool concept that even when i'm reading i'm reading about I'm like what the this is awesome so, wow yeah so yeah brilliant mm -hmm. good stuff so on that note my fine feathered friend would you like to uh maybe tease out the fact that we have three upcoming episodes all related yep, we, to we are getting into this year's spooky flicks fest uh, the last uh, well not the, the last three movie episodes we're going to be doing for the podcast um we're only doing three this year but we're uh, joel's going to be interspersing some bonus content we got a bunch of other stuff that we're going to be putting in there the three movies we're covering uh are and we went back and forth on several of these because this is our last well May or may not be our last Spooky Flicks Fest, but um, we wanted to make it count. So I've always wanted to cover Jaws, uh, which is not forgotten, but it is a great... It's not? Uh, no. Oh. Um, I thought that you were wanting to cover Mako, Jaws of Death. Which... Ooh, maybe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or Orca, the killer whale. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. that's much yeah. more forgotten. Um, but we're going to cover Jaws, which I've always wanted to cover. Uh, then we're going to do The Lady in White, mm -hmm. a good ghost story. And then we're going to end... Uh, on a movie that still kind of scares me, um, Poltergeist. Which is not forgotten, film. but it's about to be remade. And so we've always had a rule that if it's being remade, for the love of yeah, God, that's fair game. That's fair game. That is fair game. And it has been around a long time and, uh, you know, 30 years, whatever. So we could cover it because it's in our wheelhouse. But um, those are our primaries. So if you've got anything to say about those, uh, we have a voice line uh, that we have set up again, a la the beginning of the podcast some four years ago. Um, so you want to hit him up with that number? Uh, abs absolutely. You can reach us at 
206-736-7460. Remember, all long distance charges may apply. I really don't know. Maybe Give they it to won't. Me. Again, 206. 206-736-7460. And if they do go to ForgottenFlix.com, it's right there on the sidebar of the website. Okay. And yep. I, I will have to say, just because the episode coming up, we will feature part of it. But Tom the Fanboy, our old friend, has already left us a bit of voicemail feedback, which was very much appreciated. He left us something for the awesome. upcoming Spooky Flicks Fest, as well as our very final episode. So both for any of those three movies, if you want to leave some feedback, or the final episode. And like Jason said, I'm going to be releasing multiple sort of smaller bonus episodes that we're going to have guests that are going to feature a, a kind of a key element. But as we do our, when we do the first Spooky Flicks Fest episode, we'll go into more detail on that. But in the meantime, yeah. Jason. Yeah, call us, call us up. And uh, on the final episode, we're going to be doing that right after Halloween. Uh, well, it's going to be coming out right after Halloween. And we're not covering a movie. We're pretty much just going to riff on uh, old episodes. I'm going to dig up some old content. We're going to talk about what, what we've done over the years. Um, if you want to call in and uh, leave us a note about your favorite clip from our show or uh, some experience you had with us or um, let us know what you thought. We're uh, we're waxing nostalgic. Uh, it is going to be a longer than normal episode, I suspect. Um, but we're going to go through and cover uh, a whole bunch of stuff. But the irony will be we'll like eat. We'll hit like the 26 minute mark. We'll be like, um, so uh, uh, you got anything else? That's about all I got. <laughs> So remember Back to the Future? When, <laughs> no, no, and then, then, then wait, there'll be like crickets, and then you'll go, I gotta be honest with you, man. I know I've held oh. this in for a long time. I actually think it's better that Han shot second. <laughs> <laughs> and then three hours. I have, no, there is no way on this earth that we are going to be want for content during that episode. <laughs> it is going to be like the rabbit trails oh, that's uh, from hell. Yeah, if yeah. you hate rabbit trails, really, don't even bother, because that's all it's gonna be. <laughs> It's, it's really uh, it's gonna be very cathartic. Gonna be. Cathartic. <laughs> All right, my friend. On that note, do you have any final, final? Well, like, well, I won't add the final, final words because technically, you know, that'll be the last episode. But for this episode, any final words? Uh, I think we should uh, call and leave a nominous tip. I think you're right. Look, we can we can make a nominous call. 